This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning. Can you hear me? Everybody can hear in the back? Those that are in the very back, make sure that you can hear me, okay? I cannot talk louder than this. We need to start. If I talk too fast, wave, I'm not gonna see I'm not gonna see your hand anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> let's before we start, let's have a prayer together. Father, in humbleness, we come in your presence. I want to thank you so much for the privilege to be with you, to serve. For Jesus Christ, I want to thank you for your blessings. And Father, we pray right now that you fill this place with your spirit. And in Jesus' merits, you touch every heart and transform us. We pray that it may be for your glory, and we pray that we may be all fixing our eyes on you. Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I don't feel good to get up there because I walk a lot and I'm afraid I'm going to fall. <laughs> but if you don't see me, I cannot help. You just move forward, get in the front. We will have some time for questions and answers, but probably not right now. Hopefully we'll have some slides too, but I never get to them for some reason. And so, let's see how the Holy Spirit leads. Can you hear me in the back? No, no that's good. Then I can say whatever. <laughs> if you don't hear me, I, there is nothing I can do except... Either that you move forward, I cannot speak louder than this, and I don't know if somebody can turn the mic louder, but uh, there are some seats here in the front, not too many. <clears throat> there are some seats here. It's up to you. I will do my best, but I cannot talk louder than this. I just, I was in Philippines, and the plane was defective. We, it took about 52 hours instead of 18 to get back home. The plane took off, and as soon as we took off, the pilot said, sorry, the door didn't close properly. <laughs> yes. He said, we cannot pressurize the cabin, so we cannot go higher than 12,000 because we will have no oxygen, and we'll, we cannot go back down because we are too heavy. The wings would break. So we had to fly around Manila at very low altitude, for a long time, nobody could go to the bathroom, by the way. <laughs> and then we landed back after a few hours, and we stayed one hour on the runway, and then we stayed six hours at the gate in a room closed with glass walls, and they didn't let us go to the bathroom because they had us leave our stuff on the plane because it was going to be a half an hour quick fix. 
and so we could not go to the bathroom because we would need our passports and tickets to get back in and we could not go on the plane because they were fixing the plane imagine and then we got on the plane it was a long line at those bathrooms and then we got in five hours to tokyo and everybody lost all the connections and then after several hours they flew us to honolulu and we stayed 10 hours and 15 minutes for the next connection in Honolulu, and so on and so forth. And I got home two days later and stayed home one day and a half, left to Dubai. <laughs> Very moving in Dubai. <clears throat> it's MENA area, you know what that is. Middle East, Northern Africa. They have hard life. They, some of them, pastors from, I don't know, Pakistan or Afghanistan or some of them are in danger of always losing their life or freedom. Some of them came and started to cry and say to, to thank me. And I said, for what? We, I don't even know you guys. And they said, we are, we, we are listening to the sermons when we are in trials and gives us strength. It was a very humbling experience to know that God can use you. And then after meeting with the pastor, extremely good experience. A lot of stories. <clears throat> to baptize a person in that area, it's a greater miracle than baptize a thousand here. It's just dangerous to even talk to somebody. You don't know who you talk with. And then uh, from Dubai, I got home, stayed home two days and came here. And so didn't recover my voice yet. <clears throat> And my wife is happy when I don't have a voice, but <laughs> she's not. So I'm blessed to be here with you guys, but I cannot talk louder than this. Good to see you there, Mr. Gardner. That drink was the best of my life, <laughs> if you remember. Okay, folks. <clears throat> Can it be sometimes that we think because we are Adventists, what is really good is God's people. It's wonderful. It's a privilege. And we think because we have the right doctrines, what they are wonderful. They are from the Bible. Can it be that it gives us a false sense of security? And while we know that we are sinners, we still feel good because we keep Sabbath and eat tofu. <laughs> I mean, tofu is wonderful if it has the right ingredients around, but... I, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking against tofu or Sabbath, God forbid. I believe in it with all my heart. It's just, can it give us a false sense of security, like the ten virgins? You go to sleep and you sleep because you know that you are in the right direction. Sleeping, sense of security. Can we be asleep, the whole church? I'm not talking about somebody. I'm talking about me. Instead of Working hard, because we are not called for a comfortable life. We are not called to be blessed or to be saved. We are not called to be saved. We are called to serve. Jesus didn't come to be served or to be saved. He risked his salvation, his eternity. He came to serve, and he called you and me to serve. And that's our mission. And God doesn't need you. You need God, and the church doesn't need you. You need the church. And God can do the work using a donkey and using rocks. He doesn't need you. 
when we get involved, we make a mess because we are so self-centered. Even when we think we are not, it's all about me, 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 me. We pray for self, we work for self, we spend the whole day for self. Very rarely we spend time for others. We say love God more than anything and love the neighbor as you love yourself. And we never spend enough time to pray for the neighbor as much as we pray for self and spending enough money for the neighbor as much as we spend for self. Yet we say we love the neighbor as we love self. Can it be that we will never be as Jesus unless we totally sacrifice self? And that's more difficult than to keep Sabbath or return tight or sing in the choir or teach Sabbath school or eat broccoli or go to camp meeting. Yes, it's easy for me to keep Sabbath. I was born keeping Sabbath. It was a sin to smile on Sabbath or not to have a tie. We didn't take the car or the bike to church because that's your donkey and your donkey should not work. We walked. We fasted every Sabbath. Sure, we ate big quantities of food until we fell in a coma after Sabbath. <laughs> it's easy to keep Sabbath. But if you don't have the spirit of the God of the Sabbath, Pharisees kept the Sabbath too. Better than you and me. I was in Wisconsin and I was preaching in the church in Beloit long ago. We talk about 15 years ago, more or less, in the previous century. I was preaching on prayer. And as I was preaching, I said to them, prayer has no value, zero, unless you meet the one that you pray with. If you just say the prayer and you don't encounter his presence, you don't physically realize that you talk to God, prayer has no value. As church, go to church, and if you don't encounter God's presence, just the fact that you go to a building that is called church and you hear a sermon and it's the thousandth sermon and you never change, it doesn't help. And I said, make sure that whatever you do, whatever you do, make sure that you encounter God because only his presence can change us and use us. We are powerless, nonsense, without God's presence. The disciples did nothing before they received the Holy Spirit. And that's the most urgent need that the, that the church has. We should, Ellen White says in the book Prayer, also in the thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. We should pray a lot more for the Holy Spirit. We should be thirsty for the Holy Spirit. Because we have no power whatsoever without the Holy Spirit. And so I was teaching the church in Beloit. And I said, your first priority, before you pray for health, before you pray for healing for cancer, before you pray that God would save your family, before you pray that you don't lose your house, before you pray for school or for a job, for whatever you pray and struggle for the last six months and you got no answer to your prayer, or you think you got no answer, before you pray for that, check yourself. If you, in that prayer, put God first and your neighbor as much as you pray for you. Because otherwise, God cannot answer your prayer. There is a quotation in the book prayer, in the last chapter, that says, no one prays aright. Listen carefully to the quotation. No one prays aright if he or she is asking for a blessing for self. You can Google it, go on the J. White page, Google it, you'll find the paragraph. One line, no one prays aright unless they don't pray for self. Wow! No one prays aright if they seek a blessing for self. We always seek blessings and, like Jacob and we never get it. And then we pray for something that we can do and then we do it and then we say God did it. It was you, it was not God. Unless you pray 
that God would erase you, take everything from you, your life, your health, your energy, your money, your house, your job, everything you have, and save a soul that you see in heaven, that prayer cannot go to heaven. We are afraid that if we don't pray, I am in this trouble right now, and I cannot uh, sell my house, and I am desperate, and if God doesn't help me sell the house, I am in trouble. And we think that's your problem. Your problem is not your problem. Your problem is relationship with God, a character like Christ. That's our real problem. When we get that, God takes care of the house or the job or the health. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. And he doesn't refer to eternal life. I want to be in the kingdom. It refers in Greek to the prosperity of the kingdom. Seek that God's kingdom would advance. And God will take care of the other things. And he keeps his promise. But we are so busy seeking our own businesses that we don't trust that God will take care of We don't feel secure. And we don't feel secure because we don't know God enough. And we don't know God enough because we don't spend enough time in prayer and study of the word. We focus so much on self that have no time to focus on God. Because when you focus on God, you get instant peace. Whatever you go through, you know that he is there with you. You can sense it. There is a quotation in the book, Thus from the Mount of Blessings, that says, those that walk in continual communion with God sense the presence of unseeing beings. Amen. They hear the voice of God saying behind their ear, this is the way when they don't know what direction to go. Do you hear a voice in your head? Because if you don't, you are not a good Christian. Don't tell me, am I crazy to hear voices? Yes, you should be crazy. <laughs> to be a Christian, you need to be crazy. When God says, start building an ark, you must be crazy if it never rained. When God says, leave your family, leave your country, sacrifice your son, you must be crazy to obey. But that's faith. Faith is not based on human logics. Faith is based on knowing your God. And when he says something, you don't even think about arguing. How am I going to do it? You say, Lord, thank you. And you go ahead and do it. Faith is not what you try to believe in order to manipulate God to answer your prayer. Faith is when you believe him regardless that you don't understand. And so, I was in Beloit talking about surrender, full total surrender, walking on your knees. Giving up your brain, giving up your logics, giving up your interest, and basically making God first, middle, last, everything to the point that you forget totally self. There is nothing about self. And I said to them, before we get to that point, God cannot work. It is not safe for God to give us his spirit if we are self-centered. Only when we give up self, God would pour his spirit on us, and God is going to give us power because God never changed. He that split the sea, he can do that again. In fact, we pray small prayers, and Illinois says we offend God, and we pray small prayers because we have no faith. And I said, he's waiting for us to have faith and to work again. But we are asleep. And after I preached, I left. And as I was driving my car, I said, Lord, I have this car. It's a Dutch Grand Caravan. I really would like to sell the car. Please help me. And I started to pray, and I declared six months of prayer that God would help me sell the car. What was that about God or self? What do you think? Self. It took three months, and the transmission broke. Now, I want to say, that car was my pride. In 1999 or in 2000, to have a car with a big screen TV inside, 
Right now is nothing, but then it was a big deal. Wood, lights, whistles, some bells. When I would get to Andrews, when I would go in front of the seminary, I would get off the car and leave the door open for a few more seconds and step aside <laughs> so the classmates could take a peek inside and see the big screen TV and the video games. And I was like, uh-huh, can you see it? It's a luxury van. And I was like waiting for any opportunity to mention that my car has a TV inside. I was stupid, I know. And so the transmission broke. And I prayed for healing, and the transmission didn't get healed. And I had faith, and I I said, I believe that you answer my prayer. As we use faith to manipulate God, instead of using faith that God manipulates us. And God didn't answer my prayer, though I had faith. And then I was persistent, and I prayed for three months, as if you twist God's arm, he will answer. And then I fasted. What we use as hunger strike to convince God to do whatever we ask. <laughs> and God didn't answer my prayer. And so I had no choice. A new transmission was 2,500 and labor another 2,000. Who had that money? So I went to the junkyard, got a transmission for $450, paid another 500 or whatever. I don't remember details. One of my church elders was a mechanic to install the transmission and then... I put the van on Craigslist, eBay, in front of the mall in the uh, uh, afternoons, in front of Walmart in the mornings, big paper on all the windows, luxury van, big screen TV, video games, sell for this price. Nobody called. They all knew that Dodge has a bad transmission. (laughs) I lowered the price, prayed again, went to the auction. People would buy cars all around me. Nobody even made an offer for my junk. (laughs) I had no option but to start driving it again. I was in a trip with my family in Washington, D.C., visiting I don't remember what museum. As soon as we left, the transmission broke again. I hated the van. It got stuck in the second gear. It It did not change. I was on the interstate coming from Washington, D.C. to Wisconsin, driving in the second gear, 30 miles per hour. People were, and they were blowing the horn and showing me nice signs with the fingers. (laughs) I said, leave me alone, it's a dodge. I got angry, I got off the van, kicked the wheels, angry. My wife said, honey, somebody may drive by and know that you are a pastor, calm down. I could not care less. I was angry. I went again to the junkyard. I paid another 500. I paid labor another 500. I installed a new transmission. I mean, second-hand transmission again. And I said, I'm not going to touch the junk. I said, Lord, please, I beg you for already now six months, help me sell the junk. (laughs) Nobody called. Did it ever happen to you that you pray and you get no answer? Well, but the spirit of prophecy says, quote, to every honest, how many? Every. Do you know how, how much that means? It's not 99, it's 100%. To every honest prayer, an answer will come. But then the next sentence says, it would be wrong to assume that God would answer the way we want in the time we want. And then you flip the page, it says, 
God loves his children, that he cannot do anything than to answer the best, better than they ask. He will not do anything that would harm them or not be for their eternal interest. And that word, eternal interest, got into my mind and I said, this is not eternal. <laughs> do, do you follow me? This is not eternal. Maybe for my internal interest, God wants me not to sell the van, but to learn something different. And I said, Lord, and then if you keep reading, it says, if we knew the end from the beginning, we would choose the same path. Do you remember that quotation? Yes. Powerful. To every honest prayer. But if it's for our eternal interest, and he will answer better than we ask, different than we ask, the way he knows. And we don't like that. We want him to answer the way we want. We even tell him how to answer. Like he doesn't know. Yeah, we tell him the story. Let me tell you what happened, you know. And she says, quote, our prayers are not to inform God. But to submit until we understand his will. Don't go to God with your plan asking for a blessing. Go to God asking for his plan and it's already blessed. And so... We spend so much time convincing God to answer our prayers instead of spending that time to have relationship and know him and his ways and his plan. And so, as I was driving the van back home, I said, Lord, please help me sell the junk. And it came in my mind, is this for your eternal interest? And I said, I don't know. And almost, I don't care. But then I said, I do care. And I said, but I need to sell the van. And God said in my mind, how do you know you need to sell the van? I said, it's, it's a junk. <laughs> it's going to break again. I hate it. And why would you give it to somebody else if it's a junk? Let them fix it. <laughs> As that was very selfless. And I said, Lord, please help me get rid of the van. And God said, okay, give it to me. I said, how much do you pay for it? <laughs> and God said to me, surrender it. I said, that's not difficult. It's not Mercedes. It's a Dodge. You can have it. <laughs> you know, it's like surrendering your mother-in-law. That's easy. <laughs> so... So I said, Lord, you can have it, but I do need to drive a car. So give me something for it. How much do you pay for it? And God was quiet because we never fully surrender. We doubt, we, sh we shake, we are afraid, we are insecure to fully surrender. We need to have some control and some decision in our life. And we don't fully surrender because we don't fully have peace in God and fully trust God. And it's all by faith. You cannot trust somebody that you don't spend enough time with. And God said to me, do you trust me? I said, yes, Lord. I said, then fully surrender. I said, Lord, but I do need something to buy a car. And God said again in my mind, do you fully trust me? I said, yes. Then fully surrender. And I had very hard time to fully surrender. Can you believe that? Do you have any incident when God says, give it up? And you, you kind of struggle. That's the reason we have arguments. That's the reason we have no peace. That's the reason we struggle. Because we don't fully surrender. When you surrender and give it to God, including your life, not only your health or job or whatever, there is no struggle. 
She says in the quotation in page, in chapter 29 in the book prayer, she says, we struggle with our daily issues, though he never gave us to struggle with them. They belong to him. And she says, we take a burden that was never intended for us, that is God's job. And this way we make ourselves gods. And she says, we will fail. We are doomed to fail until we learn. Listen carefully. By wor worrying for your things, you take God's job. It was never meant for you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. She says, we take worries that don't belong to us. And then she says, quote, God called us to serve. When we get busy serving, then he will take care of our very need that we prayed for. Good luck. Keep struggling because you'll never get it. And if you solve it, you make a mess. Make another ten problems. Solve one and get ten. As Abraham, let me help God have a baby. God doesn't need your help. And so, that paragraph, we struggle because we take things that were not, never meant for us. And this way we make ourselves gods. When we learn to serve, God will take care of these things. And she says, he will go before you and you don't have to even touch or struggle with the problem you struggle with. He will get there. Before you get there, you just go to pick the spoil. You don't have to fight the fight because the bat battle belongs to the Lord. It's not yours to begin with. And so, I said, Lord, okay, I surrender the van, but I really need something to buy a car. And God said, do you trust me fully? 100% trust to the point that you can step away from it and whistle and jump up and down and thank, you, thank me for the answer. Because that's faith. When you praise God for the answer, Amen. two years in advance of having an answer. Do you follow me? It's like Anna. The priest says, go in peace. May God answer your prayer. And she anoints her face and she eats and she is happy that she is pregnant. But there is nothing moving in her tummy. And it takes several years until she gets pregnant, according to the Hebrew. But she is already rejoicing. That's faith. When you know God enough to rejoice in him when you have no answer and have no clue. But you rejoice because you know him. And you don't need to know the answer if you know him. When you fix your eyes on him, you have peace instantly. And so I said, Lord, okay, I do trust you. I do fully surrender. Do whatever you want. If you want it for free, take it. If you want to give me something, whatever. I don't care. When finally, and I tell you what, to say that, to give my car, we talk about giving your life for Jesus. We are unable to give a job or a car or a house for Jesus. Not moreover life. Come on. When I said, okay, you can have the car, finally, after six months of struggle and praying to sell a car, that's a shame. Six months praying for something that God wants us to pray all different. Finally, I had peace. And in that moment, I got a phone call. And the lady called and says, one of my church members, hey, do you still have that van? I said, yes, why? I want to buy it from you. I said, I'm not going to sell it to you. Why? I would rather sell it to a stranger. You will hate me and never come to church. She said, why? I said, it's a junk. She said, you should not sell it to begin with if it's a junk. Fix it. I did, but it's going to break again. 
She says, how do you know? I know, he keeps breaking. <laughs> and she said, well, I know, my brother fixed it for you. Her brother was the mechanic, you know. <laughs> and she said, that's the reason I called you. Because a new venue is 30,000, a second-hand venue is 10,000, and I have only 1,500, and you ask 4,500, and I cannot give you 45. So would you take 15? It hurt in my stomach. <laughs> but I said, okay, have it. Almost cried, you know, 1,500? You cannot buy a car with 1,500. But I gave it to her, and I said, tell me, why do you want it? Well, you preach that should nothing be about us in our life, that we need to live like Jesus, serve, love your neighbor. God called you to save. And she said, I prayed and God inspired me to drive people that have no car to church, children that have no car to our school, and I need a van. And she says, I cannot afford to get a good one, so I'm going to get your junk. <laughs> God bless you, have it. She gave me 1500 God bless me, got a Toyota Sienna right away. That's a car. Anyway. <laughs> and <laughs> Ten years later, I met her. I said, how are you doing? Good, how are you doing? I said, what happened to the van? Oh, it's still working. I said, what? <laughs> I hated it. Because whatever you keep, you lose. And whatever you lose for me, you would save. Whoever saves his life is going to lose it. Whoever is willing to give it up will save it. Whatever you keep is cursed. Only what you surrender is blessed and multiplied. And we never get it and we always struggle. I was in Cuba two years ago with three teams. We went to do evangelism. We divided it in three different groups. Five people one hour south of Havana. Five people three hours uh, east of Havana. And five people seven hours east of Havana. In three locations that we prayed for about three months were to go in mission trip and God strongly answered our prayer. And we were blessed right away to raise the money. And we went there three locations where there was no Adventist whatsoever to plant three churches. I was one hour from Havana. Randy and his team was three hours. Peter and his team was seven hours from Havana. We got there Thursday. Thursday night we started evangelism. I got about 40 people coming. Randy got about 70 people coming. Peter got 16 people coming. After the first night, Thursday night, the police came, confiscated his room, never gave him the money back that he paid for the rent of the room, and said, out, if you do it again, you'll be arrested, all of you. So Peter called me and said, we lost the room. Can we come to Havana and join you? I said, no, I don't need anybody else. God sent you there. You better work there. He said, we don't have a room. I said, why do you tell me? Am I God to give you a room or what? <laughs> he said, well, what should I do? I said, pray. Oh, we did. We just finished. I said, how long? He said, well, I don't know. I said, you don't know? Did you pray like five, ten minutes, half an hour, a whole night? He said, oh, no, not a whole night. Probably around five minutes. Okay, that was poetry. Now go back and pray. <laughs> that was what we say without thinking. The everyday prayer. But Ellen White says that prayer, that the mind doesn't think about what you say. It's an offense to God. God cannot answer that prayer. And she says, unless we pray with all our spirit, and we mean what we pray, God is offended. And also, unless, not only that we pray with all our mind in truth, and it's relevant, it's real, 
but we pray in the Spirit, inspired by the Spirit, because you don't know what to ask. And I said, ask God what he wants you to pray for, and then pray for it. Don't pray for what you assume that is the right thing, because God's plans are far from your plans and your brain. And I said, pray what God tells you to pray, and pray that forever. As God told Elijah to pray for rain, and he prayed until rain came. Do you follow me? And he said, that's easy for you, you have a room. I said, no, it's not easy for me because I am your pastor. I will pray for you too. Go back to prayer, don't call me back because I am no God. We need direction. I said, yep, yeah, and that should come from Jesus. Too much we are dependent on pastors. And pastors, we should, should, they should teach us, they should follow, you, you follow me? They should give us an example, but we should not. The pastor lives and the church goes to sleep. We should depend on Christ, on relationship, not on people. Nobody, I don't care who, me or anybody else. People disappoint you, trust me. You disappoint you every day. And so, I told Peter, go back to prayer. They prayed and prayed and prayed, and then God inspired them to go to the police. Please give us the room back. They said, no, we don't give you the room or the money back. Please, 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 please. He begged them like for two hours. When he left, a police officer came after him and said, I'm going to tell you a secret. We cannot give you the room back. We will lose our job or our freedom. And you cannot get a room. You didn't have approval. Yes, we did. We had government approval. Yes, but you didn't have city approval. Okay. But there is a rule that if you do evangelism in a church, inside a church, you don't need approval. So go and ask churches around who let you do evangelism and then do in one of the local churches. He said, oh, pastor. He called me again, by the way. I said, why do you call me? I'm preaching. I'm busy. I just finished preaching. I'm talking to people. Let me tell you, God inspired us to go to other churches and then we can do evangelism. I said, God bless you. Go. What do you want me to do? To go for you? Just go. They do that. We keep complaining as it is going to get easier. But when we complain, we just show that we don't trust God and we are weak. Complaining doesn't help you and doesn't help the one that listens. Unless you go praising, it's not going to help anybody. Just makes you weak and it shows that you have feeble faith and no connection. And I said, why do you tell me? Go and look for a church. Well, they went all Sabbath long, from church to church, in the whole city, all churches, Anglican, Lutheran, whatever, all churches, and everybody said no. He called me back. I thought God told me to go, but now it doesn't work. I said, God told you to go, and it always doesn't work. Because if it worked, it was you. When God tells you, then it doesn't work, and Satan attacks you. Show me a chapter in the Bible when God told them to do something, and it was easy. God told them to leave Egypt. Egyptians came after them. The Red Sea was in front of them. God told Joseph, I'm going to put all your, over your brothers. And he got a slave in prison. It never goes easy when God tells you to do something. If it gets difficult, then it's God. You can relax. <laughs> if it gets easy, it's you. He said, then what should I do? Pray even more. Every crisis, she says, is not meant to break us, but it's an opportunity to experience God. A crisis, it's an opportunity. 
Do you hear? And so I said, pray and experience God in a special way. I said, that's in the Bible you see stories. Because when God told them to do it, they did it. Satan hated it. Satan attacked them. They prayed even more. And God loves it. Pray even more. He said, okay. You are all about prayer. I said, no, I wish. <laughs> and so he... We, we, if we knew how much Jesus prayed, we'd be ashamed of self. And if Jesus, she says... Our divine example prayed so much. How much more we feeble human beings, she says. You're, you know the quote. If Jesus spent, she says, the whole night in prayer, how much more we need prayer? And we are so ignorant that we just say our prayers and that's it. And so I told Peter, I said, go back to prayer. He prayed, the whole team prayed, some kids joined them in prayer. And after they prayed, God said in their mind, go back to churches. And he says, Lord, but they said no. Go back to them. He went back second time to all churches. Half of the Sunday, because the town was small, everybody said no. He prayed again and God said, go back to churches. He went third time to all the churches. Everybody said no, except the Baptist pastor. The, okay, you came three times. Let me tell you, I cannot give you the room. Because there is no roof, it's broken, it rains inside, and it's rainy season. So you guys have to gather in a corner where it doesn't rain, because in the middle it rains. By the way, if you pay me to fix the roof, I can let you do whatever you want in my church. He says, how much is to fix the roof? 2,500. He says, it happens that all the money we have is 2,500, and that's it for sleep, you know, hotel, I mean lodging, for food, to pay Bible workers, to pay transportation every night, two buses, to transport people to evangelism and back home because people have no cars. That's for everything. If I give you the 2,500, I have nothing. I don't eat, I don't sleep, I don't pay transportation, I, I'm out of money. He says, well, that's the fee. So Peter called me again, pastor, I need 2,500. I said, if I had that money, I would be in heaven already. <laughs> I don't have 2,500. If I give you, can you share your money half with me? Because the Bible, manipulating, says that you should share. I said, now the Bible says that if I give you my oil, we are both short of oil. <laughs> we could go back and forth with Bible verses, manipulating the Bible to get whatever we want, you know. We do that, don't we? We take the Bible to get our point across instead of taking our point down and get what the Bible says, actually. And so I told Peter, I said, go back to prayer. How much should I pray? Until you die. <laughs> prayer is not when you have a need or a crisis and you pray. Prayer is the breath of the soul. You don't pray only when you have a need. You pray all the time as you breathe all the time. Prayer is a lifestyle. It's not an event. Those that pray all the time know God. Those that know God have no problems. They do have problems, but it's not their problem. It's God's problem. Do you follow me? They know that because they know God and they are in his hands and they daily surrender and they cast daily all their needs upon him and they leave it with him and trust in him and move on in faith and focus on service. That's prayer. And so, 
I told him, go back to prayer. But I need 2,500. Can I pray for money? Yes, if you don't pray for money for you. They went back to prayer and they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And then they called the Baptist pastor and gave him the money. And he called me, he said, I don't like you. I said, you are not the first one, that's okay. <laughs> he says, I have no money. What do we eat today? Where do we sleep tonight? I said, pray. Easy for you. I said, bye. <laughs> they paid the 2,500. They had the 16 people back in the room, plus the Baptist pastor's family. They did evangelism Sunday night in a corner of the church where it didn't rain. Monday, they had 140 plus 16. And they say, wow, the church is full, the rain stopped. Where is these people coming from? And the Baptist pastor says, well, I came last night with my family to check you out. I like what I hear, so I invited my whole church. Do you understand why God answers prayers differently? Because God cares for people, we care for things or for self. God wanted those people. God loves those people. God loves every soul that we walk by and don't even see or hear. God wants us to have a passion for people as Jesus was passionate about people. And so, 140 plus 16. And then he's supposed to pay the buses, the transportation, and he has no money. And he talks to Diane and says to his wife, Diane, do you have any money? I need 300 to pay the buses and to pay the Bible workers and to pay the food and the lodging for tonight. Do you have anything pocket money? She looks in the purse. She says, no, but you didn't pay the Baptist pastor. I have the envelope with the 2,500. He says, oh, I gave it to the pastor. No, you forgot. It's here. He looks, the envelope, that envelope with the 2,500 is inside her purse. He takes 300 pays the people, calls the Baptist pastor and says, I'm sorry, I forgot to give you the envelope. I spent 300, I'll give you the leftover. The Baptist pastor says, you are crazy. You gave me the envelope, I have it in my hand. Amen. He says, I have an envelope in my hand. The Baptist pastor says, I don't know, that's not my business. He calls me, did you give me by mistake 2,500 more? I said, I never do that type of mistake. <laughs> he says, I have 2,000. 200. I said, God bless you. <laughs> Next day, they do evangelism, and then he looks in the envelope, he counts them to pay another 300 tomorrow night, and it's still 2,500. He says, Diane, did you count them properly? Yes, honey, I did. Why is 2,500? I don't know. He pays 300, and then they are curious and count the money. It's still 2,500. This is real story. Happened in October two years ago. I could give you the names of the people. Next day he pays 300, still 2,500. He calls me, I keep spending money and it's still 2,500. I said, can I have that envelope? <laughs> he said, you need to pray the way I prayed. <laughs> when you forget self, 
We think that God doesn't answer prayers, and we are so self-centered. And Ellen White says in the Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing, somewhere in the middle of the book, that to be focused on self is to show Satan's character. That's strong. Jesus did not call you or me to serve self or even to save self. Moses said, take my name off the book of life. That's giving up, not life, but eternal life. Take my name off the book of life and save them. And Moses says later, towards the end of his life, God is going to send you a prophet like me. Isn't that a privilege to say a prophet like me? He would save his people. You obey him. To have Christ's character is to be ready to sacrifice all, including your eternity, for saving a soul. Paul says, I would rather be anathema, that in Greek means cut off from the book of life. I would rather be cut off from the book of life if Israel could be saved. When you get like Christ, you give up not everything you have. You give up your life and your eternal life for the sake of one soul. When you get so focused, so passionate about saving a soul, then God has no fear to give you all power. There is a quotation that says, quote, in the Seven Testimonies, volume, page 30. Listen carefully. To everybody that fully surrenders withholding nothing, think about the words. To everybody that fully surrenders withholding nothing, unlimited heavenly Power is provided for attainment of measureless results. Did you hear? Seven Testimonies, page 30. To everyone that fully surrenders withholding nothing, unlimited heavenly power is provided for attainment of measureless results. And then if you flip two pages to page 32, it says, if we surrendered as the disciples did in the upper room after 10 days of prayer, if we surrender as the disciples did in the upper room, we will get the same results that they got. And then she says, everything that they did, every church member should do today. Everything? Peter walked, his shadow would go over sick people and sick people would be healed. People went to Tabitha and said, wake up. And the dead woke up. Everything that they did, every church member should do today. Why don't we have power? We have only Theory without power. A religion without power. Because power comes when the Holy Spirit comes. Remember, Jesus said, don't go to work. You misrepresent me. Stay in that room and pray until you receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes, you receive power. Then you go. We go to work without power and accomplish nothing. Our work, our most urgent need is to receive the Holy Spirit. Why don't we thirst? Why don't we pray? Why don't we struggle for the Holy Spirit? Why we pray for anything else but what we need? Your problem that you struggle with is not your real problem. Satan is not after your car or your job. Satan doesn't need your car. Satan is after your faith. And he attacks you through the job or health or family or car to make you focus there and be a slave to that. So you never have time for prayer because when you pray, he knows that you know God and he loses. Because the more you know God, the more you become like him and the more you forget self. When you become like him, when his character is reproduced in you, then God can give you power. Do you follow me? 
but we are not secure to surrender. What's going to happen to me? Who cares what happens to you? You can die. Nobody cares. Yeah. Is it important? Who are you or me? Do you think that if we die, the world stands still or the church? No. Everything moves just fine. People cry for two days and then they replace you. Yes. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, he was such a pillar in the church. A week later, nobody talks about you. Yeah. Nobody cares. Folks, if we are not in Jesus, we are nothing. We have no value. Our single value is to be hidden in him. To the point that people don't see us anymore, but they see him. Unless we are immersed in Jesus to become like Jesus to the point that people see Jesus, we have no success, no reason to even be in the church or alive. Our mission is to save. Our, the way to save is to become like Christ. That's the reason God called the church. He called the church for a mission. As long as we are about us, we are not his church, though we may nominally be his church. Do you follow me? To be in the church and have a false sense of security that you are okay without becoming like Jesus is not going to save you. Oh, we are Abraham's children. Stinkers. Who cares that you are Abraham's children? By the way, what time is it? Because I could tell stories forever. Oh, we have about five more minutes. Don't we? I don't know. We do. Let's, let's, let's take a break. Do you have questions? Questions about prayer? What happened to the 2,500? What happened to the 2,500? That's a simple question to answer. There's no doctrines, whatever, you know. <laughs> when he, they finished evangelism, they still had 2,500. They left that location Saturday night to drive to Havana. They drove three hours and they stopped to a hotel to sleep. As soon as they paid hotel from that money, that money started to go down. When they started to use it for something else than God's work. When they got to Havana, they had spent about 200 more or less. All the money left over from all the teams we gathered and gave to the union to pay pastors because they have people willing to work but no money to pay. And we paid so many pastors, I don't remember the number, for two years. Like... 22 pastors for two years. We gave the union money in advance to pay so many pastors for two years. It's average salary, it's about $14, $15 a month in Cuba. And the way we gave it was about $20 a month per pastor. And, we, and then we used the leftover, because we still had leftover. We asked them, what do you need? And they said, we have health workers around 300. And we gave the money also for health work. We gave everything that we had leftover. And then we spent one day in Havana visiting, and next day we flew back to the U.S. Those people from my team came totally changed. New people, not arguing in the church, arguing in the family, always being unhappy. But they came quiet and happy and dedicated. Because when you experience God, you are never the same. We don't. We say we experience God. No, we don't. When you encounter God and see him, you cannot be the same. His presence sanctifies and changes you. Other question. That was a simple one. Give me a difficult one. No more questions. That's good. 
When people have no questions, they either got everything or got nothing. Yes. Good question. That's a tough one. That one takes about one hour to answer, but I'm going <laughs> to probably try to address it next time. I'm going to just give a quick answer. She says, you said that we should not pray for self, but God wants us to talk about all our needs. Yes, Jesus says, cast all your needs upon him. Ellen White says that there is nothing too big or too small. We should talk to God openly about all. It's something to talk to God about it and give it to God and surrender it, and something else to talk to God and take it back and try to solve it. The word is to cast, to cast, that in translation means to throw is the word used when they would cast stones to kill somebody. And the translation means to throw something with power far that you cannot reach it or take it back. To cast your needs upon the Lord means not that you talk about it and then keep carrying them. It means that you throw them at him, give it to him, and move on and trust that he is able to deal with it. He loves you enough. If he gave Jesus life, that's the toughest one to give. He can give you a job. Romans chapter 8, if he gave us Jesus, how will he not also in Jesus give us all things? To throw it at him and say, this is what I'm struggling with. I know you. I know that you love me more than anything else. Listen, the spirit of prophecy says that he loves us as much as he loves Jesus. Can you imagine the thought? Say, I know that you love me with a love that I will never fully understand. I know that you can. I know that you want. So I'm giving it to you and I make a decision. Faith is not a feeling. Ooh, I feel. Ellen White says, when we depend our faith on emotions, we go into Satan's ground. Emotions are chemistry. Today you feel good, tomorrow bad. God doesn't depend on your chemistry. God is the same when you feel good and when you feel bad. And he knew your life before you lived, and he knew your sin before you committed it. And he decided to love you regardless. It doesn't matter how you feel. Faith should not become dependent on emotions. Faith should be dependent on what he says, on his promise, on his word, on his character. He can be depended on. He doesn't lie. He keeps his word. So faith is not an emotion. It's a mind decision. You say, I decide to trust in you. That's faith. And then you don't allow your mind, don't let your heart be troubled. You don't allow your mind to deal with doubt. When doubt comes, you say, get behind me, Satan. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Doubt makes you weak, makes you discouraged. A fully discouraged Christian is a fully useless, useless Christian. Listen carefully. My father used to say, Birds can fly over your head. You cannot stop them. But just don't let them make a nest on your head. Doubts, temptations can fly over your head. Don't let them make a nest. When they come, kick them away. Ellen White says, don't talk doubt. And she says, pray faith, speak faith, think faith. Because the way you 
talk, it influences the way you think and the way you act. Nurture faith. Talk about faith. She says, praise the Lord as you have already received what you pray for. Rejoice in it. Do you follow me? You make a decision before you know what happened to praise him. Like at the walls of Jericho, they go around the walls and they, seven days after seven trips, start shouting. But in Hebrew, shout happened after you got the victory. But they start shouting before they get the victory. That's faith. When you shout of victory, before you got victory. Do you understand? That's faith. God loves that. You see them? They trust me. Those are my kids. And so you give your problem to God. You throw it at him. You leave it with him. You make a decision to trust him. And after you talk to him about it, you don't take it back. You leave it there. When you take it back, you say, I don't trust you. You leave it there because you trust that he loves you and he's fully able and he promised if you seek me first, I will take care of all your other needs. You trust in him, you make a decision to trust, you move on and then you focus on him and his people and service. And as you do that, you say, I trust that you will take care of it. Test him. And then you see how it works. He cannot work because we, after talking about our problem, we keep trying to solve our problem like Jacob. I am Isa. God doesn't need your help. <laughs> you make a mess. Don't try to find solutions to help God. Get busy serving. Let him work. He knows what to do. Okay, our time is up. That question takes about one hour and a half to, to talk about how to do it. How you really leave it there and move on. But let's have prayer because we talk about prayer. Let's have prayer and close this session and start in 10 minutes again. Father in heaven, we don't talk here theology and doctrines that are extremely important to understand, so we are solid on the Bible, but we talk here relationship. To know Jesus, what is eternal life. To know him enough to have peace in him, whatever we go through. To know that when we go through the waters, when we go through the fire, you are right there with us. And we have no reason to doubt or to shake. To have joy in you and rejoice always. Father, help us. Focus on you to the point that we forget what happens around us. And focus on others to the point that we have a passion for people as Jesus had. We pray in Jesus' precious name and thank you, Lord. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.